fighting for freedom every day. They're learning at a young age. They're being taught the socialists control the ones that are blaming Republicans for being Nazis or being fascists, the ones that are promoting some type of cancel culture, the ones that are promoting some type of agenda of uh, shadow banning. Realize at a young age that, hey, sure, you can have your freedom of speech, but we can block your funding. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Hey, it's officially here. What's up? Welcome into it. It is the weekend edition here of the Voice of Reason. Wonderful to have you along for the ride broadcasting out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, and the Hoosier Media Network Studios. Great to have you. And boy, do we have a loaded show for you today. Holy cow. As we roll through another weekend, we are officially one weekend away from October, which means we are also one weekend away from a potential government shutdown. We are one weekend away from the official okayness, although we're really there already, and we may have to start doing it this weekend ourselves at the Hoosier Media Ranch, but we will be setting up our Halloween decorations, and I posed the question earlier in the week on what Halloween costumes that elected officials, especially in the Senate, now that they have a brand new dress code, because, well, you know, John Fetterman can't dress in a suit and tie, so they can wear whatever they want to now. Because of him, because of how professional this guy is, and I ask you now that I think that senators should be able to wear Halloween costumes, and what Halloween costumes should they wear? My top two answers that I got throughout the week were skeletons, because of how old they are, and clowns, because of how much of a joke they are, and I think we'll have to agree with both of those decisions. So welcome into the show. we got a lot to get to. Jason Rance will be joining us at the bottom of the hour, author of the book, What's Killing America? We'll talk about the destruction of cities and ways that we can get them back on track, which, speaking of, uh, Chad, I know you're down in Dallas. Welcome aboard, and good weekend to you. You guys have some drama going on down in Dallas right now with your mayor, Eric Johnson, saying that he's now officially associating with the Republican Party and registering and flipping signs to the Republican. Now, I know that uh, mayor's races and mayor's candidates are, quote-unquote, non-affiliated, same as what they are in most of the country, but that is kind of interesting that he's uh, jumped ship and has gone on to the Republican caucus, uh, what's the buzz down there right now, man? Is everybody uh, kind of tweeting about this? Is this the big conversation down in Dallas, Texas? Well, hey, good afternoon. You know, it's kind of odd to hear him him all of a sudden flip over. You know, no, knowing that Dallas County is is predominantly a Democratic run city, yeah. it's it's odd to hear him flip over, and it just kind of brings some thoughts to mind. You know, what? One, when you hear him at a press conference, something like that, it's it's hard to decipher which way he's leaning because there's things he'll say that sound very, very liberal and democratic, and then there's things that he will say that you think, man, this guy's more conservative than anybody else. And interesting, you know, it brings to thought: is is he doing this because one, he knows it's not going to get him reelected and make a run for governor? Who knows? That is a possibility. That is definitely a possibility. We are a year away from major election season, which means the political posturing has begun. And there are a lot of candidates that are doing it. We'll talk about it here throughout the program while some of these candidates in the positions that they're starting to take, which I find quite fascinating as we curve out the political landscape for the next year. But he really hit as he as he registers as a Republican. He really hit hard on the Democrat Party right in the beast of where they don't want to be hit right now, according to CNN, where he says he's now registered as a Republican, even as a nonpartisan in the mayor's office, but says that the Democrat policies have co-exacerbated crime and homelessness. 
I mean, dude, hit them. Talk about hitting them right where it hurts. That is the most metal thing I ever heard in my whole life. In a statement, according to CNN.com, they say, quote, the future of America's great urban centers depends on the willingness of the nation's mayors to champion law in order to practice fiscal conservatism. Our cities desperately need the genuine commitment to these principles as opposed to the inconsistent poll driven commitment of many Democrats that has long been a defining characteristic of the GOP. Now, I think that's debatable on how consistent we are on the Republican Party side uh, when it comes to fiscal um, responsibility and fiscal constraints. But it, nonetheless, the fact that he's aware of it and right now that makes him the, the, a Republican mayor in the largest city across the nation that affiliates now as a Republican, which is quite fascinating because Republicans usually don't do well in larger populated areas. Is this the beginning of a shift of the Republican Party having at least some type of influence in inner cities and larger populated areas, which would be huge. Now, obviously, they're not going to promote the most conservative agendas, even as a Republican. And he tries to talk about fiscal responsibility. It's not going to be the most Republican agenda out of, you know, someone in a small rural community. But nonetheless, if he's promoting any type of Republicanism, that's a win for the GOP. Because the GOP right now is struggling with their own. So welcome aboard to the chaos that we have. Welcome aboard to the anarchy party right now where we bicker amongst ourselves and we talk really tough about certain policies and yet we get very little done. But welcome aboard. And it's desperately needed. Maybe, just maybe, even if he can't change anything, he could at least bring some awareness to some of the issues that are going on within bigger, larger populated areas that Democrats aren't able to solve. And that they've talked about solving They've promised to solve, but yet they haven't for decades because, well, they do very well and succeed, at meaning the Democrat Party, not the people. They succeed very well when the people are having that glass ceiling capped on them. A lot of people are on social programs. The crime's really high. They try to play gun, gun crime, which is why last week we talked about the wonderful governor down in New Mexico trying to put on that 30-day suspension of the Second Amendment that did not bode well for her. And we are starting to realize that Democrats are crumbling from within. Uh, They're doing it. Both parties are doing it. But here's the difference. Republicans are very open and vocal about it. We're very vulnerable. We don't like to hide things, at least the stuff within the party. (laughs) We're very open about it. Everybody knows our business. Democrats are kind of like the duck on the water. They seem very calm, but yet they're kind of squirming and kicking really hard behind and underneath the water as they continue to fall apart and crumble inwardly. So we'll see what this holds for the future of this mayor, Eric Johnson. And like you said, Chad, this may very well be the potential governor's potential uh, governor's candidate for the state of Texas. If he's positioning to work higher up and realizing that you're not going to win as a Democrat in the governor's race in Texas, there are some populated areas. There are some blue, deep blue areas, but you still need to be a Republican with majoritively conservative agendas in the state. So welcome aboard and welcome to the dysfunctional party of the Republican Party, which leads us into our What's Trending story of the day. What's trending today? As we look at the dysfunction right now among Republicans, we look at what's going on in Washington, D.C. And as we look at our week in review, it is Kevin McCarthy trying to hold a caucus together that doesn't want to be held together right now. We are one week away from a potential government shutdown in Washington, D.C. Why? Because Congress refuses to do their job in a timely manner. And now that we are one week away from our federal budget deadline, we can't pass a budget, nor can can we pass a continuing resolution or some type of stopgap funding bill. We don't know what to do now. 
Republicans won't agree. The conservatives that want a smaller budget won't agree to the continuing resolutions that they propose because they're proposing the higher rated. They were looking at like 2019 levels, which are ideal because that was before all the COVID shenanigans. They were looking at 2022, 2023 levels, which are just astronomical. And Republicans said no. Democrats want the higher amount for the continuing resolution, obviously, because they're all about spending more money. Republicans, on the other hand, they don't want that. They want to go back to the smaller ones. So the same argument we're having about what direction the budget needs to go as as a whole for the whole year, we're having the same argument for the continuing resolution just to keep the government open. And according to Kevin McCarthy, he seems to be attacking more so the Freedom Caucus than anyone else, because to him, the moderate approach, the wishy-washy approach The let's be calm and collective and soft-spoken approach in public, although we hear him with the audio recordings of him like badgering on and calling out and cussing out the Freedom Caucus and Matt Gates and some of the other conservatives, that that approach isn't quite working. He's tried to play too nice with too many people. And you know what they say when you try to make everybody happy and appease everyone, then you end up appeasing nobody. And that's what we're seeing right now in the House of Representatives. We have a major decision to make, and this is where it don't get my hopes up, man. I'm telling you, Andy, we could see a government shutdown. Don't get my hopes up again. Every single year we see this conversation. We see them potentially have a government shutdown. The panic ensues. People could die in the streets. Oh, my gosh, what could possibly happen this year? And then at the very last day, they stay late. They haggle. Republicans cave. We do a continuing resolution for a couple of months or until December or a couple of weeks while we finalize some of the details of our federal budget that's going to be a massive omnibus package. It's not going to be cutting any money. It's not going to be curving us and putting us in the right direction. The only right direction to go is a smaller budget than what we spent last year, period, end of story. Anything more than that is not curving us in the right direction. That's an argument that many of the moderate Republicans have done for years now, saying we're getting us back on track and we have to slowly steer ourselves. We can't go off the cliff. We have to slowly steer. Okay, slowly steering would be cutting at 5% across the board for a budget. Anything more, and we're still spending more than what we did last year, therefore we're still going in the wrong direction. You can't, we have to steer it in a course where it's pretty drastic now. And I've used the uh, analogy that we're no longer the Wiley Coyote looking over the cliff. We're actually over the cliff already. The body's falling and the head's sitting up there just staring at us, wondering what the heck to do. So Kevin McCarthy has some decisions to make, if I can speak today, as Andy Biggs, uh, Congressman, has his idea on what the federal budget should look like and whether or not we're going to shut down the government. Well, it isn't necessarily that I want the outcome. What I don't want is for us to continue uh, the perverse two things, the perverse procedures that we've been doing that actually uh, foster a deficit spending and a growth in the national debt, which does things like give you the inflation we have now and, and, and continues that. So you don't want to do that. Um, but what you really want to do is get back to doing single subject spending bills where everybody gets to, gets together and actually produces these bills, debates them on the floor and starts to bring this country back under uh, a more responsible spending program. But if you continue the path we're on, you're going to see us go to from 33, well, actually $33 trillion in national debt this year to in excess of 35 within 12 months. Um, and and the spending on the interest is about 20%, 18 to 20% of our entire uh, discretionary spending. So it's, it's irresponsible. That's the problem. 
I want to put this in it, by the way, the audio from Newsmax, that was Congressman Andy Biggs. I want to put this into perspective for you for a second, shall we? And I know I throw a lot of numbers out on the show. I'm kind of a dorkling like that. We talk a lot about budgetary issues, but this is the make or break moment for this nation. I don't mean to spread the whole doom and fear and doom and gloom, but this is the make or break. We can talk about social issues. We can talk about the elections. We can talk about the candidates, but none of that will matter when we're running off at a financial cliff here. Just to put this into perspective, the 12 appropriations bills that we discussed, that Congress has the ability to negotiate, to look through, to decide where we're going to fund, what we're not going to fund, that is part of the discretionary funding, separate from the mandatory funding, which is like every social program we're not allowed to touch or even slow the growth on or else we're evil and horrible and wanting kids to die in the streets or something. The discretionary spending, the part that we actually have oversight on is only roughly 40% of the budget. For, it means 60% of the budget, over well over half, for those that are slow on the math on the other side of the aisle, that is untouchable. The mandatory spending category that we have no control over. 40% of the budget is the 12 appropriations bills. Out of that 40%, 20% of that is just trying to pay the interest on our debts. Now, again, for those that are slow on math, 40% minus 20%, we're only haggling over 20% of federal government spending. That's the level that we're at right now. We're haggling and potentially shutting down the government and not getting on track based on 20% of the government spending. The other 20% interest and the other 60% is mandatory spending of social programs that are bankrupting the nation. It's time for a drastic change and it's time for Kevin McCarthy to get some huevos to grow a spine and do something drastic pretty quickly. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. I'm 24 minutes past the hour, radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting. So Kevin McCarthy's got a decision to make. A very tough decision. Well, it shouldn't be tough, but it is for him because he's, again, the guy, let's work across the aisle, let's meet in the middle, let's find the common ground. And finding common ground in today's times when someone wants to cut spending compared to someone that wants to double spending is a very difficult task to make. And right now it seems that he's getting more frustrated with the Freedom Caucus than anywhere else because we're the hardliners are refusing to we're refusing to uh, negotiate and compromise and work together. And why aren't you guys just getting on board and working with the rest of the Republican caucus? Because the Freedom Caucus right now in the House is relatively small. And according to him, his latest statement said that there are some people up here that just want to watch the place burn down, and that's not good for anyone. When it's not necessarily the case, because Andy Bugs does respond to that again on Newsmax on the response from Kevin McCarthy and why that's not the smartest thing for him to be saying right now. No, I don't want to burn the place down. What I want to do is I want to reform the place, get it back to where it's supposed to be. I, I have been here seven budget cycles. And every year they've come through at the last second and said, okay, we're going to do a CR. So a lot of people forget what happened just last year. So he did a continuing resolution last year. And then that was for a short period of time. We ended up doing one for seven days last year. And the result was the massive omnibus spending package that, that went from an estimate of $1.7 trillion in the hole to over $2 trillion in the hole. The speaker promised us when he got elected that he was going to change that. And he didn't change it. 
And, and, and what we found is if you don't fo- push for change and actually uh, try to force the change, it, things don't ever change. People get comfortable. They don't want to face and confront uh, their, you know, what's, what's happening. And, and then you, don't, you just stay locked in on the suboptimal path. And you don't ever exit it for a more optimal path. The more optimal path is to pass 12 bills that try to balance the budget every year. Well, we and, haven't done that in decades. Yeah, and again, that's only roughly 20% of our government spending right now. The other 20% is in, is uh, interest rates that we're playing on our debt that continues to grow, especially with the new $2 trillion we're about to spend for the next year, and then the $2 trillion on top of that again for the following year, and then the 60% of the federal budget that's nothing more than mandatory spending. That's going to be an absolute disaster. We have to remember that Kevin McCarthy right now is 0-1 on this edu- on this uh, budgetary process. And while he said he was going to be the one to bring everybody to the table to actually get us back on track and try and cut spending, he bombed out big time. He passed a bill that was going to deal with the debt ceiling crises back in June. He passed that back in April that actually had some cuts, reappropriating COVID-19 expenditures, and then being able to handle just enough money to get into this next budget cycle. And then he walked away from it and ended up passing the budget where we're now $4 trillion deeper in a hole. And he says that we somehow got something good out of that one. Now, I've given Kevin McCarthy a lot of respect in the past for being the guy that tries to be the calm, collect, rational kind of guy. Because, you know, here we're on The Voice of Reason. We try to be rational, even though our emotions sometimes get a little out of control. But we, <laughs> not really, but nonetheless, we try to be the rational, reasonable, thought processy kind of ones. And he does that. And he tries to do that in Washington, D.C., and I commend him for it. However, there's a line. And we're going to give him one more chance. But we're going into an election season of 2024 where there are Like he says, a lot of people that want to burn down the place, there are a lot of Americans that are now getting so frustrated that they're willing to burn down Washington, D.C. and start the whole thing over. They're willing to say enough is enough. We cannot handle this any longer. There are a lot of people in elected office and not elected office. And I'm not talking physical civil war here. Stop it. So don't even put that in your head. I am talking about they're just done. They're sick of the government system, which is why we have the lowest trust rating for elected Congress and for government as a whole in our political system than ever before because people don't trust it and people don't want it. It's not working. You have one more chance to set the platform for what Republicans stand for, which is fiscal responsibility. So unless this budget is smaller than the last budget, you did not do your job and we don't trust you any longer either. And we will not work with you on anything else moving forward. Jason Rance around the corner here on The Voice of Reason. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason meets radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. Always wonderful to have you with us for our weekend edition here of our radio broadcast on The Voice Reason. From coast to coast, all over the place, more radio stations jumping on board each and every week, and we love you to death. We'll announce some of those uh, coming up here in a little bit as well. Real quickly, as we kind of wrap up this conversation and shift gears here, the ongoing debate, the potential government shutdown that we could see in Washington, D.C. this week. Here is the craftiness of the Democrats and why Kevin McCarthy... The wonderful middle of the road, let's go with the flow, sing kumbaya, hold hands, work with, together with everybody, try and bring everybody together at the table when we have nothing in common whatsoever. Uh, this is the guy 
that is probably going to walk away from the conservatives, as it sounds like he already has, saying that the Freedom Caucus, willing to shut down the government because of how much money could potentially be spent right now, is the one that's going to allow Democrats and make a deal with Democrats to pass with their majority and a few of the rhino, wishy-washy establishment, uh, middle-of-the-road Republicans. As according to McCarthy and BreitbartNews.com, Democrats are working with the Speaker to avoid the government shutdown and passing a budget or at least a uh, continuing resolution if he accepts and approves the passage of a $3.3 billion fund to continue to help with rent for migrants along with sending money over to the Ukraine. <laughs> that's that's the compromise. Hey, if you help with resources for the migrants, because obviously New York City, all these other big cities that want to be sanctuary cities but now don't want the migrants to be in their area, if you help support resources for them to take care of these migrants, since they're apparently out of money as the largest cities in the country, but yet the rural communities, why aren't you guys just taking these guys? You have the resources, right? We'll help you if you end up passing those along with sending more money to the Ukraine. Then we'll pass your budget and the stuff that you want. Completely diverting away from conservatives, completely just working around the Freedom Caucus, sticking it to the Republican Party. And if that's what the platform for the Republican Party is going into 2024, I think that we're going to have a coup among the Republican Party internally. Just saying. Let's shift gears a little bit. Let's get into our What's Trending. What's trending today? And ways to talk about what we can do to fix that, along with so many other issues in America. It is, I'm happy to have on the program with our next guest. He is author of the book, What's Killing America? Inside the Radical Left's Tragic Destruction of Our Cities. Excited to have on the program Jason Rance here. Jason, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on the show. It is fascinating to watch the decision of some Republicans on how they waver so easily on their values when they say that they're going to go in there, tough to, uh, do the tough talk and do the hard thing that it takes to get this country back on track. And it is unfortunate, but we're seeing it from Republicans at the federal level all the way down to local levels all over the country right now, aren't we? We certainly are. Look, I mean, it's easy to say you're going to do something until politics gets in the way. And in in fairness, when politics gets in the way and you know you're going to be blamed for something at a time when, look, you're going up against Joe Biden, we should be able, frankly, regardless of who the nominee is, to end up winning this. And you want to mitigate any potential threat as humanly possible. And when you know you're already going to be on the bad side of the media, regardless of what it is you do. Even if they save the day, it'll be spun in a way that Republicans are to blame. You know, it will change your calculations a little bit. So I think, frankly, both the, you know, the Freedom Caucus, as well as, you know, Kevin McCarthy, they need to come together and come to some sort of solution that gets us as close to humanly possible what we want without too much of the risk as all focus right now should be on defeating Joe Biden and the Democrats. Yeah, the Democrat Party is so broken, it should be an easy defeat for them, uh, for us to be able to beat them, especially going into an election next year. But right now, it seems like Republicans are self-sabotaging enough that you're right, we're unwilling to work together and actually find where we can agree on things and move forward with it because we like to beat each other up. Although I will say that, and I said it earlier in the program, that Republicans do it outwardly to where the whole world can see it. Democrats do it as well, but they don't do it in the public. They do it behind the scenes. They're kind of the duck floating on the water where they look calm and collect on the front, which I think helps them in a realm of politics when the media is watching everything you do. 
Yeah, I agree with that. Look, it helps. But you know what? I'll, how about this? I'll, I'll give you the spin. Uh, it's more transparent on the Republican side. At least we know <laughs> where folks stand, right? And we know what the main issues tend to be, generally speaking. And because they do it so publicly, it does mean that Republican voters might have more of an influence on where the party ends up going. Because, look, right now, anyone who's on the side of the Freedom Caucus – why aren't you speaking up? Anyone on the side of the McCarthy group, why aren't you speaking up? We, we have that opportunity here versus Democrats who are doing things in a very elitist way, which is let's just stay behind the scenes and we'll uh, have our private conversations and do what we want, regardless of what the people say. Yeah. Amen to that. I do love and enjoy that transparency. Let's talk about the Democrats and how they're destroying a lot of the cities across the nation. We just saw the headline as of Friday that Eric Johnson, the mayor for the city of Dallas, says that Democrat policies are destructive to crime and to the way that cities should be operating, and that he is now officially switched over to a Republican, meaning that he is the he is now the mayor of the largest city in the nation as a quote unquote Republican, even though you're nonpartisan when you're in the office. Is this just the sign, Jason, of the fact that Democrat cities are crumbling and they're trying to do something different in a state of desperation? Well, yeah, I mean, I, don't, I hope it wouldn't be considered desperate to switch over to the Republican Party, but I, I think you're <laughs> right, right? I mean, I mean, you can look at this Wall Street Journal op-ed that he put out, and I think it says it really, really well. It could have been a forward for my book. I mean, you have destructive policies that Democrats have put forth, and we've seen specifically the consequences of that policy. The problem is, whether we're talking about Dallas or anywhere else in the country, most local media outlets will tell you the transactional information on a story. Here's what happened. Here's where it happened and when it happened. But they don't tell you the why. They're not connecting the dots. And I think the mayor connected the dots in the way that I do in What's Killing America, which is to say, we don't have to live like this. We don't have to live with the out-of-control crime and homelessness and drug use. We don't have to then pay an arm and a leg for our mortgage or for our rent just for the privilege of living in a hellhole. We actually can push back and win. We just have to know why the radical left are doing what they're doing and why do they believe what they believe. What's behind their thought process? Because if you don't understand that why, in addition to the what, you're not going to be able to win arguments. And ultimately, we're going to have to have these conversations with our friends, family members, neighbors, co-workers who won't report you to HR for talking politics. You have to get in front of them and have these conversations. Otherwise, we're just going to continue to lose these cities. And let me tell you something. It does not just stay in big cities. As many, many, many people know, doesn't matter where you go. They will find you. Yeah, they will find you for sure. Uh, why is it, and here's the bigger question, why is it that those within cities continue to vote the same way when their lifestyle isn't getting better, when their lives aren't getting better? Donald Trump, and I give him credit for it, essentially was one of the first ones in 2016 when he went out to inner city areas and he talked to minority communities that overwhelmingly vote Democrat. And he said, you guys have been voting Democrat for 50, 60 years. Give it a try. Has your life gotten any better? What do you have to lose to try something different uh, and I'm glad that he did it. Republicans are just finally starting to reach out and do the same thing as a state as a uh, actual party platform, although it's been difficult for them to get their inner workings in there. But why do we have to do that when people you would think would come up to that conclusion themselves and be like, man, I've been trying this for years and it just hasn't gotten any better. I'm going to try something different here. Why do they continue to vote the same way? 
because I can go and ask literally anyone that I just randomly meet on the street who's to blame and what's to blame for the problems, and they won't really be able to tell me. They, they'll tell me what's wrong because we all know what's wrong. We all feel what's wrong. We all see what's wrong. But it's not always easy to pinpoint, especially given the fact that you are up against a media that doesn't tell the truth about what the radical left is up to. They don't give honest coverage. They use a lot of code words that sound really, really good and like, oh, wow, I Harm reduction sounds like a great way to get rid of the drug crisis. That's what our liberals are pushing. Let's, you know, they're, they're leading with compassion. Let's give them another try. Except harm reduction is a horrible strategy that is being implemented everywhere in this country where Democrats are in charge and is effectively giving people crack pipes to use. We're giving them needles to use. It doesn't actually work. But on paper, it sounds like it does. How many people do you think you know, how many people listening right now can define what harm reduction is? When was the last time you even heard that term being used? Probably few people, right? And yet this is a policy that is in place right now that's being done. It's being implemented in our names, and we don't know about that. So when we don't know what we don't know, well, we can't have any consequences for the politicians who deserve consequences. Yeah, that is true. We're talking with Jason Rance. He is author of the book, What's Killing America? Inside the Radical Left's Tragic Destruction of Our Cities. He's also host of the Jason Rance Radio Show. And also, you can find him on his website at jasonrance.com. The Tweety at Jason Rance. I am optimistic, Jason, with how uh, we're starting to maybe, hopefully, see some common sense prevail after the governor of New Mexico last week tried to impose her Second Amendment restriction for 30 days in the suspension around the Albuquerque area, because, by golly, that's going to send a message to the criminals. And we had Democrats in the legislature and we had the liberal media that was making the arguments that we've made for years of, wait, do bad guys actually follow the laws when there's actually a law in the books that you can't commit a crime like that? Well, no, they don't follow the crime. Does this actually deter them from wanting them to lay down their guns? No, it doesn't. But by golly, it's going to send a message when they start making our arguments I kind of chuckle a little bit because they've laughed at our arguments for years, and then they end up mocking and making fun of the Democrat governor that tried to sue the same policies that they've implemented or at least advocated for for years. Yeah, I mean, at some point when you're so over the top in your arguments, someone does have to push back because they'll recognize that they don't want to see egg on their own faces by pretending that what she was trying to do was actually constitutional. It was very clearly not. But you're right that a lot more people are maybe speaking the language that we have previously spoken. And I would argue part of the reason is because they are now personally experiencing what is actually happening. It's really easy to live in your own little, you know, your own little bubble and not actually realize it. I tell you what, Jason, hang on the line. I want to continue this conversation when we come back. Here's Jason Rance at What's Killing America is the book. Go and check it out. When we come back, I want to talk about ways that we can start working to get these big cities back on track. It's The Voice of Reason, your weekend edition. Lots more coming up. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. So uh, the social experiment of these cities, the progressive agenda within largely populated areas, continues to dwindle. Although we see really in California, they're making some really radical changes. We'll talk about that coming up in hour number two. Right now we're hanging out with uh, Jason Rance. He is author of the book, What's Killing America? Inside the Radical Left's Tragic Destruction 
of our cities. You can find more information on Jason at his website, jasonrance.com, or you can find his book, you can find his videos, you can find his radio show, and a heck of a lot more. Jason, I love to talk about education, and obviously mm-hmm. in every state, with every largely populated area, they receive the vast majority of all public funding for public education, and yet they seem to do the worst when it comes to graduation rates and test scores and uh, however else we try to grade these. And now we're debating on whether someone's actually one gender or another, which is uh, kind of an interesting conversation to have when we're supposed to be doing math and science and reading and writing and so on and so forth. But yet, I think there's been awakening in the education system after the governor of Virginia tried to tell us that we were essentially domestic terrorists and that parents should not Mm -hmm. have any type of say in our kids' education. Do you think that that awoken the beast or maybe even during COVID when the kids weren't allowed to go to school without a mask and a vaccine that finally, you know what, maybe we should start focusing on the younger generations and parents should be a little bit more involved, especially in these more populated cities? Yeah, I think it was COVID that really was a wake up call for a lot of parents. You know, the the one positive to come out of the remote learning is that parents were able to hear what was being taught to their kids. And they were, you know, doing their own work. And then in the background, they hear the teachers saying, like, what did you just say about BLM? What did they just say about white supremacy culture? It really shocked a lot of parents to the point where they wanted to push back. On top of that, they saw what was happening to their kids, their academics, their mental health, because they weren't allowed to go back to class. And they saw who was responsible for it. Now, they're not going to turn completely on teachers. But I do think that they're looking at things in a slightly different way. Two great examples, one in San Francisco. It was so woke that even progressive San Franciscans said, we need to recall our school board members because this is too much. They are not focused at all on the academics. And then in Virginia, there was a case where this white principal, after George Floyd was killed, put out some email to her predominantly Asian uh, population within the, the school saying you should check your own privilege and understand what's to come. And they were like, what is she talking about? Lo and behold, they went away from a merit-based system and they went into affirmative action. And then all of a sudden, parents got together and they started to push back. When, When you are able to connect with other parents who think just like you, it's hard to get there because no one wants to be that one who speaks up during a meeting and risks being the only person. But I guarantee you that the more people speak up, the more they'll realize there are a lot more of us than there are of the radical left. And you just got to get organized. You just got to know what to look for. And you know, you have to know what to ask for. Well, you're absolutely right. We got to get organized and we can't be the silent majority any longer because we're letting the uh, the vocal minority end up running things and it's getting a little out of hand. Jason, we got just a couple minutes before we have to wrap up here. But uh, speaking of kids, as we look at maybe the high schoolers, the ones trying to go off to higher education, the ones that are looking for jobs or at least to pay some bills or to cut their teeth with experience, we're losing those opportunities. We could talk about minimum wage. We could talk about automation. Mm-hmm. We could talk about unions. We could talk about uh, the uh, just the destruction of private business and the small mom and pop shops and communities. But do you think as we see maybe – the slight turning of red in some of these cities with more Republican-type candidates. Is this going to be a focus, you think, to allow and actually get the workforce back with a younger generation to give them opportunities that we don't have right now or that we're losing? 
the reality is I think there's enough adults out there who are struggling right now that it's probably not going to be focused on the teenagers. But I think that, to your point, it's incredibly important. I spend one chapter going over this actual issue. In fact, just looking at the, the role of automation and AI and how that is very quickly taking away a lot of jobs. And when you raise the minimum wage to just untenable positions, you end up hurting the folks who you're talking about, the young people who are just out of college, just out of high school. They're looking for some experience. They're looking for their first starter jobs, only to then be told, yeah, we can't pay you that much. And so they go with someone else. Yeah. Now you have to have that college degree to be able to get into that entry level minimum wage position. And that's not the way the system's supposed to be set up. It's pretty disastrous. It's Jason Rance. Go check him out. JasonRance.com author is what's killing America inside the radical left's tragic destruction of our cities. Jason, I love the conversation. Let's do it again soon, my friend. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, likewise. All right, there it is. Hour number one in the books, my friends. we got so much more to cover. Next hour, Alec Torres. He is a former speechwriter for President Donald Trump and a former speechwriter for Kevin McCarthy as well. We have that. Plus, the state of the Democrat Party. Will we see a change in an evolution or devolution of the party in the Democrat side? We'll do some of that when we come back here as well. It's hour number two of your weekend edition of The Voice Reason. Lots more coming up. Stay right here.